Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Well, I see you're all here. September 23rd has come and gone. The world was supposed to end yesterday. Please, if you hear things like that, don't go after them. Okay, just don't. Just don't. The Lord works in in a great way, and that's just not one of them. Well, this morning we are going to continue our series on others. This morning I'm going to talk to you about the 1969 World Series, Rubik's Cubes. I have never figured one out. Geometry and splinters. As we've been looking at this topic of others, remember we're looking at people who are really marginalized, people who society sees outside of the embrace that is common. And we've been trying to look at these different areas of life and see how did Jesus deal with those who were on the outside. Today we have a tendency, especially in Western cultures, to have a very dualistic way of thinking. There is the right and there is the wrong, and we don't see anything in between, right? There is the Democratic and there is the Republic Party, and we, we categorize people in these parties. Every Democrat wants big government. Every Republican wants to take away uh, Social Security from elderly people, right? We, we want to put these things in categories because then we can more easily embrace them. We can feel more comfortable in these kind of securities. And when we do these things, and people are either are good or they're depraved. And anything else we will manipulate to fit into one of our preset categories because it helps us to move forward. And so I remember I had a pastor and he said, there's saints and there's ain'ts. That's all there is. And I'm like, okay. And I said, well, what about kids? Well, there's kids too. So, okay, so there's saints, ain'ts, and there's children, right? And you see, there's always these rules that we set to try and make things clear. But when you look deeper, they're not as clear. Life is a lot more complicated. So far, we've talked about racial discrimination, those who are considered outside because of where they are ethnically. We've talked about the Samaritan woman in that. We've talked about uh, social or class discrimination with Zacchaeus, a rich man who profited on others who, who by all means was a person who would be a criminal and was ousted by his community who Jesus had dinner with. We talked about the social outcast or the moral outcast with the woman in adultery, caught in adultery, and here was someone who had done something wrong, and yet Jesus still extended himself to her as well. When I was in the fifth grade, I was playing football on the street with my brother and a couple of the neighbors. And one of the kids, he's a pretty large fellow, fifth grade, I probably weighed all of 70 pounds or something, right? I was even shorter than I am today. And one of the guys we were playing with, his name was Robert Fennell, and Robert Fennell weighed probably close to 200 pounds back then, and Robert and I were both going for the football. I was faster than Robert, but the ball ended up in the same location, and Robert fell on top of me, and more specifically, fell on top of me in my head, 
And so my head was in between Robert and the asphalt. And so I, I got up and I looked down and my shirt was covered with blood. And so like any, you know, fifth grader or would do, a 10-year-old would do, I screamed, you know, ah! you know, I started freaking out. My brother came running up to me and wanting to assure me everything was okay. He looked at me and he went, and he goes, oh, oh, it's okay. It's okay. You better go home. You better go home. It's okay. And I just knew it wasn't okay, right? So I ran home. And there at home, we had a lady who is take care of our house a little bit. Her name was Cleo. And Cleo looked at me, and she cussed or something, said something at me, and was looking at me. And I went to the bathroom mirror, and I could see my skull. <laughs> there is a hole here, and I could see my skull. And I was kind of amazed, like, oh, wow, that's not right. You know, that's not good there. So had to go to emergency, called my parents who were both working, had 25 stitches put in my head, and had to be on bed rest at that time. But it also happened to be the time when the World Series was on. It was the Mets and the Orioles were playing. And I don't know why, but the World Series in those times was in the daytime. And so I got to stay home and watch the entire World Series. And it was the greatest thing. And I wasn't necessarily a, a Mets fan, but they were the underdogs. The Orioles had an incredible record. They had been expected to win, and it ended up the Mets ended up taking the series, you know, setting this kind of like, oh, it was like four to one, I think, the series. They, they clinched it pretty quick. And everyone was amazed. How could they do this? This underdog, they weren't expected to win. Is the marvelous, or the amazing Mets, I think they called them back there in 1969. I got to see the whole thing. I was there supposed to be resting, and I was jumping on my parents' bed because they had a TV in the room. Don't tell my mom. She's not here right now. Okay. Oh, she is here. Sorry, Mom. Uh. So while I was supposed to be home resting, I was jumping on the bed, having a great time watching the World Series a 10-year-old by himself until Cleo came in the afternoon. But it was a great experience. And what happens, as we see in Scripture, is God has a way of reaching out to the underdog and bringing him to a place of victory. And that's a story that we're going to look at today. Turn with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 1. And we'll read through verse 20. It's an interesting story, and we're going to talk about a number of things in it. But starting in verse 1 in Mark chapter 5, it says, They came to the other side of the sea, this is Jesus and his disciples, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shacklets in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down a steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city, and the country and the people came to see what it was that had happened. 
And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Strange story. Just bizarre things happening in this story. And it's important that we first try and humanize this with the man that's taking place here. I mean, the story of who he is is just haunting. The pain, the anguish, the loneliness that this man had lived in and went through, literally sitting among the dead, living in the tombs and in the hills. They could hear him crying at night, and he was cutting himself. So there's this agony. There are people who we don't know how to help. People that we see and we usually just want them to go away. We we want to bind them. We want to restrict them. We want to control the situation, but they are out of control. And so we would rather the people just disappear than having to deal with them. And whenever we talk about demonic involvement, it's just terrifying to us. It's even more terrifying to those who are involved. And whenever we talk about the supernatural, it makes things uncomfortably awkward. With our dualism, we want to kind of put it into different categories. Sometimes we want to de- mythologize it, right? We want to say, okay, yeah, they they were talking about demons, but really what they meant is there's mental illness. You know, there's times where people would have epileptic seizures and they would say it was a demon and really it was just their way of dealing with what they didn't know. But that's not really the case because there are times when Jesus talked about evil in a real sense. And then there's times where he talked about healing in a real sense. And He's divided these things very clearly so that they are not in the same category. The devil, you know, on the other hand, this other side of the coin is the devil is behind everything that is bad. He's the reason there was a long line at Starbucks before he came to church, right? Because the devil is trying to stop you from going to church, and so there is a long line. And, And everything that's bad becomes the devil's fault. And we have these ways of just, again, trying to put things in a category. Everything bad that happens mentally, emotionally, or you know, physically is placed into this kind of category. Oh, the devil did this. Why? Oh, I got a ticket. It was the devil's fault. Oh, I thought you were driving 80. No, no, it was the devil's fault. <laughs> well, that's a whole other thing. You know, Life is more complicated. There is real mental illness that is not demonic. You see, you cannot deal with demonic possession by Prozac or medication. It's just something that's totally other than. And having been involved with many people who have mental illness, I know the harm that comes when you try and spiritualize something that is part of biology. Now, we are spiritual beings, and, and so everything becomes spiritual in some degree or another, But to then attribute these kinds of things to demonic activity is really cruel for people who biologically have problems because of chemical imbalance. And when the chemical balance is restored, they have a lot more control of their lives. And it's not, you don't get rid of demons by giving them medication, right? This is something other than And at the same time, you can't deliver demonic oppression with Prozac, right? When people are spiritually possessed, it's not a medical condition. 
And I'm not going to delve into the demonic aspect. I have dealt with a few people that have been what I believe demonically possessed. I don't want to deal with them anymore. I just assume not. I would not cross the street to see a person if they were demon possessed. Hey, that guy's demon possessed. Okay, that's good. I'm going to walk this way. I just, I, it's not a comfortable thing. It's creepy. I don't know how else to put it. It's just creepy. When people know things that they shouldn't know about people they don't know, that's creepy. When they start calling out about people in their life and naming things, that just makes you feel weird. Like I'm feeling weird right now, okay? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus said, So his fame sped throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And so again, we see the variety of categories that are listed here. There are people who were healed that they perhaps called possessed at that time, but there are also people who were delivered, and it's a difference. And it's important to see this, that Jesus dealt with both because both are present in our world, and both make us feel uncomfortable. When we see people who are outside of this area of comfort, it puts us into a position where I don't know how to deal with it or I don't really want to deal with it. And so then I am forced to put them in this other's category. If you're not sure what's taking place in someone's life, Someone is struggling, and it seems like, man, this seems spiritual, but is it? I would say try everything. Try praying and take them to a therapist. Take them to a doctor. Try everything. Do not leave a stone unturned to try and help someone who is going with something. If you're not sure what's happening in someone's life, try everything you can. Always, of course, prayer, because we believe prayer is involved in so many ways, spiritually as well as physically. In this situation, others, we're talking about those who are suffering mentally, physically, and spiritually in ways that sets them apart and excludes them in a way that makes us uncomfortable and wants to go, want them to go away. When we don't know how to fix something, we just don't want to deal with it. I do not know how to do a Rubik's Cube, so I do not play with them anymore. I know there, I could probably watch YouTube and figure it out. I know it's some mathematical thing, and guys do it in three seconds, and I could spend three years and never get it done, right? And so I don't know how to deal with it. I don't have that much interest to learn how to put the colors all together. And so I just don't want, if I see a Rubik's Cube, it stays there, right? I might mess with it, but I'm going to try to put it, I'm not going to waste my time on that thing anymore because I've wasted enough time trying to put it together and I'm not good at it. Can I get an Amen. But you see, we start feeling that way with people. I don't know how to fix you. And so I just want to keep you at a distance. I don't know how to deal with this. And so for me, it's more comfortable if it's staying away. You see, what does Jesus do? He leans into it and he sets the person free. People want to alienate, bind, treat this man as an animal. And Jesus says, come out of this man. Jesus humanizes him, calls him a man there in verse 8. He saw the man who was suffering and elevates the image-bearing existence of this person that others would just push away. question then I have to ask myself and we have to ask ourselves is it what do you see or is it who do you see I see a homeless man you see a man who is homeless 
So many people say, oh, we're going to feed the homeless as if they were animals. I love what Dave Bush is doing at Calvary at Upland. He has what's called the gleanings ministry, a word from the Old Testament, where they have dinner. They don't call it feeding. I appreciate his desire to put these people in a human frame, to see them as value. Do you see the person or do you just see the problem? If we just see the problem, we lose the ability to bring the heart of God to that person and we take away the human element that is there. This time I want to have Ben come and share a little bit of what he had gone through at a time when he was homeless. Ben? Um, Sam asked me to share some of my experience as a homeless person, um, how I felt marginalized, pushed away, rejected, and um, lonely. And also he wanted me to share some of the things that happened that connected me back to God and to other people. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to share a couple of stories, um, negative things uh, that happened that made me feel horrible, and and then some positive things that uh, helped restore me. Uh, And and both sides have a common theme, which you'll see at the end. There's something right under the surface that's real close on both sides of the coin. So um, I was homeless in 2011 and 2012 for like maybe 10 months or so. I did a lot of couch surfing with friends. I lived uh, or I slept in a lot of job sites, in uh, empty homes, on the roof, in the park, uh, in my girlfriend's truck. Um, really, when I slept, I would find a spot and sleep. But uh, I, I felt marginalized, and I felt depressed, and I was uh, high as a kite. So obviously, my homelessness went along with my drug use. Uh, I didn't feel good about myself. Um, and so anything that somebody else told me or the way they looked at me would uh, instantly bring up those feelings that were right under the surface because I knew I was not living the life I should have been living anything. But uh, a couple of stories One uh, night that I slept, I found a playground on a school, on a church property. The playground was real soft, that rubber stuff, so I figured it would be a comfortable place to sleep. So I slept there, and, um, you know, I don't have a pillow or a blanket or anything. It's just my body and my guitar, probably. And uh, the next morning, uh, I got woken up by the police. The um, church administration had called the police and said, "There's, there's a bum on my... Uh, playground, <laughs> get him out of here. So the, I, I didn't get in trouble, but the officer kicked me out of there, and I, I got moving. But I was I was hurt. Um, being a Christian at the time, I, I knew that the church should be the one that showed a little compassion. I really wished that the lady would have said, "Are you okay? Do you need something? You know, you're not supposed to sleep here. I, I might have to call the police if you stay." But I didn't get that. I just got the cops. Get out of here. So I was hurt, um, and, and I, don't, I don't blame her for calling the police. She was, might have been frightened. Who knows? But um, just that simple lack of compassion, uh, I, was, I was hurt, and I felt like a loser because I was a loser. I was sleeping on a, in a playground. Uh, other times, um, another story, I was, I was not welcome at uh, my girlfriend's parents' home. Uh, I, I would sneak in, however, a lot or, and sleep in the garage, and on one occasion, her father came out the next morning and opened the garage, and I was there sleeping. He kicked me to wake me up. I said, what are you doing in my garage? Grab your stuff and get out of my house. And I put my tail between my legs, and I left. I said, yes, sir, and I, and I felt horrible again, uh, like a bum, like a loser, because I was. I was a 35-, 36-year-old man, completely drug-addicted, using her family, using the garage for warmth, um, so I just felt horrible. Um, just felt um, less than. I would get a lot of looks. Uh, I, I would clean myself in public restrooms all the time, and I would be in there uh, for you know 15, 20 minutes, and I'd get knocks on the door, and I'd, give me a minute, and knocks on the door, give me a minute. And I got a couple comments like, "What are you doing in there, dude? You showering in there?" Yeah, I was. I was bathing in there. 
And again, I would put my tail between my legs and I would leave and I would feel like a loser. And I would feel like I was less important. Um, and I would feel lonely. At the time, I was estranged from my family, my mother and father and my brothers. I didn't really have any friends that were, that were not drug addicts. So it was real easy for me to feel lonely. When I was high, I felt great. I was king of the world. I was funny. I was energetic. But when I would come down at all, I would feel horrible, horrible, lonely, and um, hurting. I was hurting. So uh, it was real easy. Even just a look was real easy to make me feel horrible. Like I said earlier, it's because those, those feelings of being less than, of being a loser, they were right under the surface. So it didn't take much for somebody to look at me or say a word, and it brought those feelings that were right under the surface right out. On the same token, it didn't take a small thing at all for somebody to show me love, and it elevated the spirit within me, the potential I had within me. So to share a couple of stories of some positive things that happened throughout my, my homelessness, um, like I said, I was estranged from my family, but uh, my brothers, both of them, uh, on occasion would reach out to me. Uh, it's weird what you remember. It's all a blur, but I remember vividly a couple conversations, one with my brother Chris, and he called, and <laughs> I love my brother Chris, and um, <sighs> my brother Chris said, uh, if you, if you see my brother Ben, if you see him, I haven't seen him in years, but if you see him, would you tell him I love him? Would you tell him I miss him? And uh, I didn't really know at the time that God was using that conversation to really speak life to me. But looking back, I know that, man, that spoke to me, and I thanked him for it. But just that little, that little word, you know, to me, um, it made me remember <clears throat> who I was inside, who, who I could be, uh, my potential. And, and we all have this amazing potential if the Spirit of God would come in and do a work in your life. Everybody. Everybody. It doesn't matter who or how long they've been on the street or drugs or whatever. So uh, my other brother also reached out to me one day, and he called and said, Hey, you know, I, I know what you're up to. I know what you're doing. I love you. If you ever need help, you can come stay with me. I live in, he lived in Missouri. But um, he said, I want to share uh, these lyrics to a song with you. I said, Okay. And I remember I'm, I'm antsy, you know, I'm high, I didn't really want to talk, but I'm on the phone. And he, he said, let me, let, me share, uh, let me share the lyrics to this song. This song is called Invisible by a, a Christian rock band called Disciple. Uh, and again, at the time, I didn't really know how much this would speak life to me. Looking back, I know that it was a spiritual thing that he did. Uh, you might, it, it, it was even kind of corny, like, hey, bro, I'm going to share these lyrics to you. Uh, but it, it was bold, in love, and it worked. Uh, so here's the lyrics to the word, to the song "Invisible" by a Disciple. I said, uh, "By the way, this is like God speaking to you." It says, uh, "You've got my attention. There's no need to hurt yourself this way. You think no one will notice how you're feeling when you cry yourself to sleep? You feel stuck on the outside, looking inside, wishing this life wasn't your life, and you think you're damaged way beyond repair. Well, you're not so far that I can't get to where you are." You wish you were someone else. Every night you fall to pieces, knowing you can't save yourself. I can see you. I hear you. There's a place where the broken go. There's a room full of second chances. You're not stranded on your own, and you're not invisible. I'm ready to listen. There's no need to hold it all inside. The smallest whisper. I hear it when your strength has all but died. I need you to believe me. Can you trust me? That's what you see Sorry, that what you see is not what I see. The reflection in the mirror is telling lies because nothing you have done could change how much I love you. You're not invisible. I can see you as you're falling on your knees. You're not invisible to me. So again, that simple act, uh, maybe cheesy, uh, but my brother was bold enough to share that thing with me, and it elevated my spirit. It the potential, uh, my, my, the spirit that was in me, right under the surface, was easily brought to the surface by a kind act or a kind gesture. Um, and, and there's so many stories I could tell, both negative and positive. But uh, I was blessed financially by people randomly. One night I was 
standing at the truck, like scrapping metal and stuff, and this woman came to me and said, are you okay? I said, um, like, what do you mean? <laughs> are you all right? Well, I'll be all right. She's like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm taking this microwave apart so I could scrap the aluminum and get a few bucks or whatever. And she's like, okay, I'm going to bless you. I'm going I'm to, you stay right here. I'm going to bless you. God's telling me I'm going to bless you right now. She came back and gave me like 40 bucks, random. And I was like, I told her like, I can't take this. Like, I don't, I feel bad. Like I can't. She said, no, I want to bless you. I want you to have that. I, I said, okay, well, at least let me play a song for you. So I grabbed my guitar and played a song for her. I paid her with music. But uh, again, that kindness, uh, a random gesture, it lifted my potential, my spirit within me that was right under the surface. It brought it out very quickly. Uh, there were a lot of instances where I just got a, um, a dollar or a God bless you. And I never really panhandled, but people would randomly bless me. Um, so if you know somebody that's addicted or homeless, um, and I'm sure you do, I'm sure everybody in this room has got somebody in the family or, or you see homeless people that you talk to periodically, um, just know that it, it doesn't take much. Um, God's the one that does the work. A simple, kind word, a simple gesture, whether you give them food or clothing or money, um, and, and just the way you look at them, um, because they're not broken. Um, they don't need to be fixed. Um, God is in the restoration business, so just let him do the work and you be his hands and feet. So thank you for letting me share. Thanks, Ben, for opening your heart to us. Love pushes in. Love pushes in to fight for this man's life. Love cares and sees the man, not the problem. The people wanted to get rid of the problem. They wanted to get rid of this man. They also wanted to get rid of Jesus because he was affecting their business, right? I mean, what are these Jewish people doing with a herd of pigs, right? They're not supposed to, according to the Levitical law, be eating pork, they couldn't eat pork until Acts chapter 10. Thank God for Acts chapter 10. And <laughs> bacon is back on the menu. Um, but they weren't supposed to be doing this. It was probably a business that they were using and selling, making money. But it wasn't supposed to be a business they were in. And I, I think that the heart of what is taking place here in this passage is there might be unclean animals and there are unclean spirits there are no unclean people. That people still bear the image of God. Even a man who was possessed by a legion. Jesus saw the man and reached out for him. These people would not put up with the unclean animals. They would not put up with this man. And later they wouldn't even put up with Jesus. You know, it's amazing what people will put in front of What's important? I've asked this before, and it's something that I see as I do training with dogs and how people treat their animals. If you were to see uh, your pet and a homeless person who you didn't know, and they were both drowning and you could only save one, which would you save? How many people even struggle with that because of how much they like their pet and because of how little they value people? as being image bearers of God. How are we going to respond to this? We should never write anyone off. We might have to distance people. We might have to set boundaries. But we never write people off. The problem, I think, oftentimes is how much it's going to cost us when we see a person who seems beyond our ability, it is going to take a lot to reach that person. Whether it's a person who is dealing with homelessness, addiction, and a lot of times mental illness is involved with the homeless because they don't sleep well, they don't eat well, and they're using chemical substances, and it affects the brain. 
A lot of homeless are veterans who are suffering from PTSD and have never learned how to deal with these things, and so they're on the streets because they cannot function well in society. And so what we want to do is put them away because it takes too much to deal with them. It costs too much. It costs these people about 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of bacon, right? It costs them something to have this man delivered, and they didn't want to deal with it. They didn't want Jesus there anymore. It's going to cost us something as well. If I would have known when I was in high school, I took geometry, and I took pride in that I never did homework. I know. It's just one of those things when you're in high school. I got through geometry. I passed with a solid D, and I never did homework. And I thought, geometry, who cares, right? Who's going to need this? I needed it later in my life. I was doing engineering, and I had to do geometry, and I was like, really? The thing I said, who cares? Who's going to need this? I end up needing it. And I end up having to go back, and if I would have paid attention, I would have been so much further ahead. I remember there was a, a young man who was homeless, and we were trying to get him into a, a situation, a rehab situation, and he had a lot of outstanding warrants. And so the home wouldn't take him until he got these outstanding warrants. And so I had to take him to the court one time to find out all the warrants, and he had a whole bunch of them. And we had to try and go through and deal with all these, and then we had to go back to court again and go before the judge and say, I have all these warrants out. Can you put them aside so I can go into this home. And I remember just taking all day. And it's like, I have to take a day off to to help you go to deal with these things. I'm sitting there in the courtroom, you know, and he's standing before the judge and he's saying, yeah, I'm going to go into this program. I have this, this, and this. And the judge looks at me and goes, who's that? He goes, oh, it's my pastor again. I'm the pastor that happens to be there, right? I'm everyone's pastor for the occasion sometimes. And so I'm there and I'm just like, yeah, that's me. And so he's going, are you going to see him into the program? Yeah, I'm going to see. You see, it took someone else to help him get through that because he couldn't have got to the court himself. He couldn't have done those things himself. When a person struggles with mental illness, they need people by them because they are going to go through these ebb and flows of medication that they have to take and of the things that they have to do, of having to live right, and people have to constantly be in their lives. And some family who have to deal with this with their children never stop being involved with them. It costs something. It costs a lot. But who's going to fight for them? Jesus did. And so should we. Shouldn't we be the ones who step up just like Jesus did for a person who is in this place that no one else knows how to help or wants to help? Shouldn't be the one, we be the ones who give the kind word, who step out and have the actual conversation, even if you're not going to give someone money, asking them, what's your name? Can I pray for you? I, I'm not going to give you money but I'd like to help you if you would allow me. Would you want to get into a program? Are you a veteran? Do you know? See, asking questions can start to build those bridges, but then you're stepping into someone's life that's going to need your time. And that's a hard thing that we can do. We should be the ones who see and return the value in people. Move them from an inconvenience back to a place of a person. And so what can we do? Well, you can pray. That's definitely an important thing to do no matter what the person is dealing, whether it's a spiritual situation, whether it's a mental situation or a physical situation, you can definitely pray. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. See, there is a spiritual force that is trying to destroy the image of God in humanity. 
And I've encountered evil, and it is just that. It is evil. And it's going to be dealt with in a spiritual way. We're not wrestling against this flesh and blood. There's something more that's taking place, and and so we have to step into that. We're, We're not here to just play nice. We're not here to just play church. We're not here to just tell people, oh, it's okay, God loves you, and then leave. We're actually to be advocates for humanity to try and restore the image of God and people who are out of it, people who are strung out, people who have lost sight of who they were created to be. We're there to try and help them regain the vision of who they need to be. And it's hard. And it's not going to be easy, and it's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us energy. It is going to take a lot out of us to be involved with these people who are struggling. And it seems tireless, and it seems endless. But what goes through our minds, or at least my minds, Okay, I'm just confessing here. I'm, I'm preaching to myself. When I see a situation and I see a problem that's going on and, and I'm I confronted with, well, what do I do? My mind says, I got to get back to the pigs. I, I got work to do. There was a time Karina and I were driving to church and there was someone at the side of the road. Uh, a lady was parked and it seemed like she had car problems. Karina, my wife, of course. She says, you know, should we check and see what's going on? I can't. I've got to get to the church, right? I leave a lady on the side of the road because I got God's work to do. I got to get back to the pigs. You know, God is never going, not that you guys are pigs. Um, (laughs) But you see, a person will be always more important than the meeting, than the appointment. A person will always be more important than the structure or organization that you're going to. I understand if you have a job and you have things, but these are the things that you have to weigh in and step into because this is what it costs us to do. I have so many excuses. I don't think Jesus buys any of them. I really don't to be involved. They don't want Jesus to stay. He's interrupted their life. He's going to interrupt our life as well. He always does. But the best disciples are those who Jesus fought for, those who were once the others. You know, it's amazing when you get a small splinter in your finger, how much it hurts. And it's like, oh, man, this is terrible. And then you show, man, I've got the splinter. She's looking. She goes, where? It's like, right there. See that little dot? That's it. And it's killing me. And you look at it, and it's like, really? You're a baby. You know, just like, no, it's really hurting. It's small, but it's painful. It's at this nerve ending, and, and, and it's having this impact on my being. I think the small people, these marginalized people like that Samaritan woman who ran back and told the whole town what was going on are the people who have this potential to do amazing things. This, this man who is possessed with this legion of demons comes to the boat, and I, it's just a, a heartbreaking story. I could see him just coming, saying, I need to go with you, and Jesus says, no, you can't. You need to stay here, you need to go home, and you need to tell the people of what was happened. In verse 20, it says, they went away and... Be- He went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. You know what's amazing about this is this Decapolis that is mentioned here, it's meaning 10 cities, 10 regions. That's what the word means. We see that it shows up again in chapter 7. Jesus returns to the region of Decapolis. And in chapter 8, 
Jesus has this big tent revival where he feeds 4,000 people in the region of Decapolis. How do you think all those people got there? How do you think all those people knew about this man, Jesus, or were interested enough to go and hear him? You see, I think there was this man who was discarded by everyone, who Jesus reached out and made him a man again. And because of that, he told everyone what God had done in his life. And when Jesus came back, there were 4,000 people who wanted to hear this man because of what he had done to this man. And we can't overestimate what God will do when one person is restored. There was a man who told everyone what Jesus had done for him. This person who no one knew how to reach this person who was too much of a bother, we just want to bind him and put him away. This Jesus who is too much of a bother, he's destroying our business. He's making us think about people more than this other area of our lives. And it is there that the story of the feeding of the 4,000 actually has the seed planted and grows to be this miraculous event. Because Jesus cared about the other. We are an amazing community. You guys have done and are doing so much. And I know it is challenging. For you, it's challenging for me. I had three messages yesterday about people who are dying, people who are sick, people who are needing different things. And I had training and lessons to do, and I had you know, a talk to prepare. And the most important thing is to remember the people who are behind these voices, who are behind these texts, who are behind these stories, that I can step into this situation and help restore God's intention for their lives. And that's for all of us. See, it's real easy to think someone else can do that. But when it comes to your phone or you drive by that car or you talk to that person, it's coming to you. And so I I hope that you will pray with me how we step into the lives of those who are in need, but the need is so great that it's overwhelming. The situation with the homeless, it's overwhelming. There's too many people to deal with, but maybe you can deal with one. Someone who God puts in your way. Someone who greets you when you you show up at the shore. And maybe it'll cost you a little bit of your time. Maybe it'll cost you a lot of your time. And maybe even like the case with the young man who I helped go to court and did this, he ended up going back on the streets. And I can say, okay, that's it, man. I tried. That, I, I'm done with that. But Jesus isn't done with that. Jesus isn't done with him. He's not done with me. He's not done with you. He's not done with them. There are unclean spirits and there are unclean animals, but there are no unclean people. Let's pray. God, you always challenge me more than I want to be challenged, and you always push me further than I want to go, but you also elevate me to see things that are better than I used to see them before. 
And, and Lord, I pray that it would be true with all of us and, and how we look at people, that we would not see people as problems, but how you see them as potential. Lord, that those who are struggling, you are not tired of and you do not consider them unclean, that you are fighting for them and the fight is laborious and it's slow and it's not easy. There's a lot of no's that have to come in there. There's a lot of boundaries that have to be set. There's a lot of hurt that takes place when we're dealing with people who we're trying to help. But even as Ben shared, sometimes a kind word, a kind gesture can elevate your image back in these people where they see themselves as human again. Where they remember what it was like to have that sense of purpose. And Lord, if we will not fight for these people then we don't deserve your name. And so if we call ourselves Christian, help us to be people who care, who look at the needs and step into these areas where we can be of service. Lord, we entrust ourselves to you and the things that we encounter May we encounter them with the heart that you did. We do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand together with me. I don't have a simple solution of how you can resolve the issues of homelessness, of mental illness. There are a lot of things that are available to you. The city is doing a lot of things. But you're going to have to work at these things as well. When there's a city meeting that you hear about that's dealing with homeless, you have to go. When there's someone you have to get the information, you have to ask them their name. You ask, most of them have phones. Say, hey, can I, if I find some help for you, can I give you a call? You have to determine if it's safe to call, maybe call them from someone else's phone or a protected line. Those are things you have to use discernment in. But you can't just pretend it's not there. We've got to step into these things just as Jesus did. Let's sing a song. May the Lord direct you to the needs of those around you. May you see the person behind the problem. May you convey to them that there are no unclean people. Let God restore what belongs to him. That's the human part. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. God bless you guys. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.